Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast, hashtag Pitbull Stories Edition. My name is Rachel Laurie Harris. I'm a professional dog trainer, and I'm also the proud owner of an American Staffordshire Terrier that we lovingly call Waylon. In this series, Pitbull Stories, I talk with pitbull owners all over the world, and we share our stories about pitbulls, how we got into pitbulls, how we love pitbulls, what we've learned from them, and how we're advocating for the breed now. I'm really looking Looking forward to sharing these stories. And if you'd like to be a part of this series, please follow us over on the Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO. Send me a DM. I would love to chat and hear your Pitbull story. Enjoy. I'm French, German, white, black. Like, what doesn't matter? You're 70% water and you're 30% mass. And if you're not, then we need to like figure out what are you, right? Because if you have more water, right? Like, right. So, all human beings have certain things that they need to have met, right? And I think there's some kind of famous, like, scale that everybody needs to have these things, right? Shelter, water, food, right? Happiness, family, right? Well, dogs are no different, right? They're no different. They have a certain thing, uh, a certain set of needs that needs to be met, and whatever those things are, they're kind of the same for every dog. They need a social life with humans and dogs, right? And it needs to be a pos- positive experiences. They need to have their needs met, whether it's, they go swimming, they go chew a tug rope, like whatever it is their needs are, right? And then the third thing is they need to have good health care, right? Like good food, good diet, all that. And that's what people forget is that they just see an image or they hear a story and they're like, that dog's bad. And the example I give is if we're walking down the street and we see a dog in the window and they're freaking out, we don't know if the dog is frustrated, fearful, or happy. We have no idea because the dog could be all three because it looks the same. The dog's just losing its mind at the window. The dog right. might be thrilled. Might, might be the happiest dog in the world. It just has barrier frustration. The dog might have a really bad bite history, right? We don't know. All we know is a dog is barking at a window. So what I've often told people, you know, is, well, not my dog, right? Because I've had people say, well, your dogs, these dogs. Like, well, hold on a second, a second, a second, a second. Something that happened with somebody in some part of the world or the country has nothing to do with me and my dogs, right? And even if the dogs look the same, hell, even if they're litter mates, <laughs> right? Like you can't blame me for my brother's behavior. So a lot of it has to do with advocates really becoming phenomenal at spitting game. Because if you are able to have, and it, look, if you can't have a sober conversation with somebody and they're just all, ah, you just walk away, right? But if you can actually have a cogent, sober conversation with somebody about dogs, not even pit bull dogs, because we can sum that up real quick, and we will. Then, then you can really help people figure it out. Because what I've found in over 20 years now of advocating for dogs is that people who love dogs love dogs. It's just that sometimes they get misled, you know, and they just – they're headline readers and they don't – right? Not everybody is going to go and, like, study brain chemistry and genes and all that. And, but, but I did and I have. So let's clear up a couple of things. I mean I'm sure that people who watch this will be – the converted, but it's good info for them. And please steal all this and you, you, you just Share use it. it. Yeah. <laughs> use it. So the common, you know, the common fear that people have, whether they like dogs or they're afraid of dogs, is that these particular dogs that look like this and are called this, these pit bull dogs, right, are going to be aggressive. Well, aggression is rooted in fear, okay, and behavior is contextual. Every dog on the planet, every human as a matter of fact, but dogs in particular, animals, they view everything that they encounter as safe, unsafe, neutral. That is not to be debated. That is Pavlovian conditioning. This, we could fill up 
Denver's football stadium with the amount of research that has been done on safe, unsafe, neutral, Pavlovian conditioning. It's the foundation for so many behavior studies and experiments, etc. If the dog is afraid, okay, and here's the example I give. Doorbell rings, dog goes, they start barking. Now, the people who go, hey, shut up, right, and, and yell at the dog, the dog's either going to bark more because now they are, oh, my people are freaked out. The doorbell freaked me out, right? So they have this confluence of all this fear and stress, right? And, and hopefully people don't do things like shock them and choke them and kick them and all that crazy stuff. But so you just condition the doorbell to be that when it happens and you're afraid, I convinced you you're right because I just yelled at you. I need to convince the dog you got it wrong. So ding dong, knock, knock, bark, bark, bark. You know what I do? Oh, it's okay. Good boy. You know why? Because A, it is okay. It's just a goddamn doorbell for us. Right? It's like <laughs> yeah. just a doorbell, right? Who's on the other side of the doorbell? Friends, family, and delivery people that we probably see on a weekly basis who we know, you know, Joe or Sarah, the delivery person. Hey, how are you? So we don't want the dog to have a fear of the door and people coming in the house, right? Because we want the dog to come away from that experience with a safe association, even if momentarily they go, huh? Right? Everybody, every creature should be allowed to be like, whoa, whoa, that kind of freaked me out and be able to bounce back. The trouble people get into is that dog did it and it's in their genes or they're a bad dog. Somebody told me their other dog shouldn't do this. And they have all these rules going on in their head, these fake narratives. No, the narrative is safe and safe neutral. That's all your dog cares about. Safety first, food and water, fun with dogs or humans. That's the whole agenda. Right. There's no, and the thing that people have to understand is there's no moral imperative. Okay, not to get in the weeds and you can cross check this. Go Google dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex is the area of brains that do right, wrong functioning. And dogs do not care about right and wrong. They care about safe, unsafe and reinforcement. Is this reinforcing? Right. So the dog who destroys the couch and chews it to bits is stressed, needs to chew for mental stimulation. Right. And that's why dogs end up doing that. And dogs are attracted to human sweat, butyric acid. So the dog who chews up the couch that smells like sweat, who's stressed, isn't a bad dog because behavior's in the environment. So whenever there's a behavior challenge, you look at the dog's history, the environment, and then the people. The humans are the biggest variable, and that's the dirty little secret. So the other side of it is that dogs that are bred for a purpose, no matter what it is, and again, my interview with Dr. Karen Overall, who was head of behavior at UPenn, she's got more letters after her name than the alphabet, Again, you can't really dispute this. What she says is the vast majority of dogs, some 90% who are bred to do a job, especially a stressful job like fight other dogs or herd cattle, most of them don't do it because there's a variability in the genetics. There's a variability in the environments. There's a variability in the humans who are helping these dogs to do this. So when you talk about dogs who are bred to do you know, uh, fighting and fight other dogs, it's really rare. And as we talked about before you know, we, we started recording – those dogs who can go into a 16 by 16 box and fight another dog, those are rare dogs. They have a really good ability to process stress and glucocorticoids and, and get them in and out. Because like we said, like you're not coaxing the dog in. They're either getting pulled, they're either getting walked in on their own accord or they're getting let out of a cage and they're going to go fight another dog. Right? That's it. They're, there's Dog fighters aren't like, come on, let's go fight. Right? Like you're trying to get your dog to take a bath. Right? right? And, you know, back in the day, they, they would you know, they would pull dogs out real quick when they tested them and they would give them to the butcher and say, you know, they would like, it, it, it was it was not humane, but it was a little bit more congenial, you know, uh, back in the day in the real old, old timers. Um, you know, it's not something that should be 
looked at lightly or glossed over, and I don't want to give that impression. What I want people to understand is that the vast majority of dogs, no matter what they're bred for, they're probably not going to be in the top 10%, right? And, yeah. and then you have to fact, you, know, you really always have to factor in environment. So when your dog has open spaces and they're socialized and they're playing with other dogs who are well socialized and the people are proactive in the play, making sure it doesn't tip over, you end up with a dog who's going to have a really good social life, right? Now, if the dog is strong and muscular and something happens and they get into a fight and they don't lose and they hurt the other dog, well, all I can say is, you know, you got to know the dog you have and you need to be actively engaged. In over 10,000 play groups since 2006, and I, I did this because I, I got taken to task over eight minutes of puppy play I put up on social media by some trainers who I thought would know better, but again, I, I found out that people don't really understand dog play. In over 10,000 play groups, Okay, I had a basement that was 16 by 16. I had a backyard. I have a training facility. I've been in people's backyards, dogs who I knew for two hours. You name it, dogs I knew for years. I've never had a dog fight. And the reason why I've never had a dog fight in all these play groups, over 10,000, is because I do history checks. I'm actively engaged, shaping the play. You know, I've had some moments where dogs could have, right? So the human is the variable. And if you're really aware of the safe and safe neutral and, and that is your guiding principle and not some narrative like, oh, my dog is jealous, which they can't be. Their dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex is too small. There's no moral imperative. They're not doing things with the same motivations as people yeah. ever. And that's what people have to break free from, not only the general public, but also people who have dogs, um, all dogs. I mean, you know, look, if you think your dog is bad because they're going to the bathroom in the house then you might as well be mad when it rains. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, like no, you, you got to figure it out, right? Like, you got to figure that out. Like, this is an environmental issue. This is a biological issue. Your dog doesn't have a moral imperative to piss you off. It's impossible. Yeah. Dogs can land, you know, it's been theorized somewhere between, you know, 25, you know, 20, 25 bites in four seconds, five seconds, depending on the dog and so forth. Um, if they really didn't want to do shit, how many times do you think would you be, would somebody be able to grab that collar or be mean to that dog before the dog's like, you're gone, right? They could take, you know, because a 35-pound dog could take off a human thumb with no effort. And, and the vast majority of dogs don't do that. And most, most dog bites are on par with playground and kitchen accidents, right? You cut your tomato, you know, not paying attention. Whoop, you hit, hit your thumb, you fall off the swing, you get a really bad bruise on your knee, right? So the vast majority of dog bites aren't lethal or threatening in the small rare dog bites that really do lead to like major injuries or death it's usually the elderly and little kids because they don't fight back like me and you if we're with something like that like we're fighting we love dogs but i'm beating the shit out of you i'm not getting hurt right like yeah so yeah if you're if you're not saying you should or put yourself in that position you know because i have to be careful because you know there's idiots out here who are like yeah that's how you do it no 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 no, you don't want to hurt dogs talking about extreme situations you know um and, you know, for professionals out there, you really need to assess. You don't want to rehearse that stuff. You don't want to see the dog bite anybody or anything, you know, unless it's doing it in, in a way like tug, you know, something like that where it's, you know, it's healthy and humane. Um, yeah. So, Drain, I want to hear from you. How did all of this start? Like, how did all of your motivation for advocating for dogs, advocating for pit bulls, like, was there a dog who started all of this? Like, tell us more about yeah, that. It was, um, it was Mojo. Um, I rescued Mojo uh, with my ex back in 2000. Um, and I knew nothing. I'm going to be really honest. I had, I didn't even, I kind of got a dog for my girlfriend. I was that boyfriend. Um, <laughs> but then, uh, and at the time, you know, I was a musician and, and all that. And, and I was, we had, we had, we had him for about two days 
and it was my job to take care of him during the day, and I was cutting vocal tracks, a cappella, you know, and so the dog came over and laid at my feet, and I'm like, all right, and he just melted my heart, because I'm like, all right, well, if you like my voice, then you're definitely cool. <laughs> so I really had a good time, like, taking him to the dog park and hanging out and, you know, just walking around, and um, and I, I never really, like, I never really thought about it too much. I mean, you know, you hear stuff in the media and whatever, but you never really, like, and then... I brought Mojo over to the health food store and Derek, who's about 310, 320, big dude, he jumped like I put a gun in his face. Oh my and, God. and I hadn't had, I hadn't had Mojo for a while. Like I hadn't had him that long, you know, it was like within a couple months maybe. And I was like, dude, what's wrong? I was like, good. And, but, but by this point, like being a complete novice and having this dog, like I took him everywhere. I took him to nightclubs. This was back in New York City where when you showed up because I knew everybody, so I can't right and they were right, like yeah. and they were like, Oh my god, a fucking dog, bring him in, you can drink for free. So we in the booth and like drink and hang out, right? He literally was everywhere. So we knew we had this social friendly dog, he's around little kids. So for this dude, this big dude, and he was like, You gotta understand where I'm from, those kind of dogs. I said, like, Okay, I get it. So then um nine eleven happened. I was actually at the dog park, saw the first plane come in. Um, watched the whole thing go down and then uh, left New York City in about six days and went out to Seattle um, and that's where things kind of just sort of coalesced I, you know I started doing a little bit more research and uh, my ex went to become a professional trainer and I kind of just shadowed her for about five years but in that five years researching I was like I need to make a documentary because I, I have all this access so you know, we moved back to uh, the East Coast, and I just got a camera and started going around and filming people and talking. I went to the, the Vic sentencing, did interviews on the street, talked to professionals, you know, all around the country, put up the Pitbull hoax in 2009. Um, I graduated from the Academy for Dog Trainers in 07. And the reason why I went to become a professional trainer, I mean, personal and, and professional reasons to have, you know, a living and, you know, contribute to the, the training business that, that we had. But I also wanted to be educated when I was advocating. I wanted to have, I didn't want to just be another person who loved these dogs armed with a bunch of stats. I really wanted to have an education in behavior. And that's what really separated me from a lot of people at the time. Prior to me bringing in the discussion about behavior, both human behavior and dog behavior, for the advocacy uh, community, it hadn't been really done. Before I made the Pitbull hoax, people weren't really talking to people about behavior. They're kind of giving these, like, general, they're okay, you just treat them well. But I brought They're nanny okay. dogs. <laughs> oh well, God. the thing is, is that, here, here's the thing, this is what I tell people, and that whole thing has been misconstrued. The reason why they got that tag, and Jessup even said this, and, you know, she changed her mind, I don't know. So for those of you who, can you, can you tell us more about Jessup for those of those of the, my listeners who don't know who she is yet? Diane Jessup is a Pitbull historian and, and a novelist, um, and uh, she's written a couple of, uh, of books about Pitbulls, and, and she co-authored the... Uh, book American Pitbull Colby's American Pitbull Terrier and I like Diane um and and we'll we'll leave it at that but but going back to that thing look if you bred a dog back in the day I'm talking like in the 1900s early 20th century right and and you had six puppies and three of them could herd and one of them was gonna go fight right that's four dogs what are the other two gonna do 
They got given to the nannies that went and hung out with the wash ladies. That's how they got that tag. So anybody who thinks that that means, oh, they were bred to watch kids is really not that smart, right? Because no dog ever should be bred with the express purpose of watching children, right? That's like, what humans and real nannies are for. They laying in the grass and watching the yard and they'll bark if someone shows up, but their job isn't to watch kids. So that's been completely misconstrued. And I get that, right? Like I get that. Like I don't fight against that, but, but that's how ridiculous it is. You know, like there's no common sense. So I get it. Um, and you know, uh, geez, yeah, I just, any opportunity, big or small, didn't, doesn't matter. It still doesn't. And if people want to talk to me about dogs and pit bulls and how to understand them better and treat them better, And that's what I just decided to do. You know, I just decided to just put out media and help people get educated. You know, that's that. I mean, I don't do a lot of pit bull advocacy these days, but I think that it's in a way because it's just there's like pit ups for pit bulls does a great job. I'm not saying that I don't, but there's, you know, a lot of people yourself, you know, who who are doing this. And that's that's amazing, you know, Um, and I'm always willing to help. But I kind of, you know, I did my thing and put out the films and, you know, after a while, you are just, it's kind of like, I do a lot of advoca- advocating for positive training, right? It's the same tropes, right? It's the same. So you're, you're just constantly reminding the next wave of people who don't have the proper information that what you've learned is wrong, right? Right, because and, if we don't understand behavior, then we're not really addressing the root cause of the whole pit bull hysteria as it is, right? Like they're absolutely interconnected and we can't have one without the other, Right. And that's and like you're saying, right, like it's all rooted in data. Right. Like all of this is evidence based. Right. Behavior and then debunking well, some of these myths that just will not go away. Behavior is in the environment. Right. It's not in the dog. Doorbell rings. Dog barks. The reason why the dog barked is because the doorbell rang. If I yell at the dog. Right. Or I cause him some kind of fear, pain, I shock him. Then now the doorbell is a trigger for the dog to be afraid. So even if the dog stops barking because they don't want to get shocked or kicked or hit or whatever crazy stuff people do, all you've done is convince the dog be afraid of the door and the doorbell. What people don't understand is that fear generalizes easy for dogs, right? So when somebody will say to me, why are you praising that dog if they barked at the person who showed up is because I don't want them to be any more afraid or startled than they already are because they got it wrong. I've never been with a dog where they were afraid of something. And I'm like, yeah, me too. Never once. Not one time. Right? So the dog's afraid of traffic. I'm not afraid of traffic. The dog's afraid of other dogs. You have to convince dogs that they got it wrong when they're scared. Unless somebody's breaking in your house at 2 a.m., then just let the dog do it at once. Right? Like, put your cape on, buddy. Right. But that's like, that is such a small freaking fraction of like what their lives with us are like. Right. And like, they're not meant there to guard, to guard, right. They're there to be our companions and we have to be their advocate. And just like you're saying, reminding them, right. Like everything is going to be okay. I understand you're afraid, but we can move on. Right. Like we don't need to build from here. Well, that's the problem. I think the real battle in dogs right now, I mean, look, if you don't like pit bulls or Rottweilers, if you don't like dogs, right, then you don't. I'm not here to convince you to like them. If you My listeners sober, do. That's why they're here. Right. And if somebody can have a sober conversation, like just a cogent, like not all hyperbole, because sometimes pit bull advocates are their own worst enemy. 
right? Yeah. I saw I saw a woman on it was a brief clip on the Ellen DeGeneres show. This was years ago. She had a white pity. Everything was going great, and then she said, "But you know, because of this breed, he's not good with other animals." Now. She just blew everything she said out of the water previous. Now, first of all, that's not true because breed has nothing to do with it. It really doesn't, right? Now, I'm not saying I don't discount uh, uh, genetics, like, but I can't do anything about the dog's genetics. As a dog trainer or behavior person, when someone we can't calls change me that. up, right, I can't. I, you know what I mean? So behavior's in the environment. And just because one dog has an issue doesn't mean all the other dogs that are like that dog or similar to that dog will have that same issue. So whenever there's a behavior challenge, whether it's something like the dog's jumping on people when they walk in the house or the dog's afraid of trap, no matter what it is, it's the environment. And humans are the variable. And that's the dirty little secret. People think that, you know, oh, if I just get, you know, two weeks of training here with this person. No, never send your dog away for training. Be there, learn, you need the skills. Unless you've established a relationship with a trainer who's really good and they're positive, they're humane, you know that they're, they would cut their arm off before they would hurt your dog. Have them board and train your dog after you've worked with them and learned with them. It's not about, oh, I need to get this collar. Or, no, it's about you have to understand that dogs have an agenda of safety first, food and water, fun with dogs or humans. That's all they care about. There's no in-between. They don't know about credit cards and movies and all this other stuff that people get weighed down with. The example I've been giving people is, you know, you're watching a, a video or a movie of a, of a deer and they're drinking water and the deer goes, that deer lifted its head because it's going, am I safe? Now, when the coyote lifts his head, it's going, am I safe or do I have to run and catch that? Do I have to go eat that, right? So different motivations. Animals are all motivated by safety first, then food and water, and then some kind of fun social activities with humans or dogs. You know, that's that's all dogs care about. People have gotten it mixed up because there have been TV shows and professionals who literally, I mean, they just lie or they're ignorant and or, or they're doing it on purpose and they don't care. Like whatever their deal is, it's not legit. And that was one of the things that I wanted to get out into the discussion is legitimate behavior. Now. You're absolutely right. It's all about behavior because that's what everyone's concerned about. So, and correct me if we've already talked about this or we did this before we started recording, but if you and I are walking down the street and we see a dog freaking out behind a window, the dog's either happy, frustrated, or fearful. We don't know because it could all, right? We don't know. No. We don't know what happened five seconds before or what's happened three years in the dog's life. All we know is the dog's barking in a window. Now, if that dog looks a certain way and people have an attitude with that dog in the neighborhood, oh, he's aggressive. Now the dog is a label yeah. because of their bias. Understanding behavior has to do with removing stuff from your view of it. Like when I view dog behavior, I don't look at it like, oh, I, I don't want this dog or he's bad or this. But I'm just like, what's going on in the environment? Who lives in the house? Right. I have a 16 page behavior history form. If you're going to bring me a dog with history, right? If you're a puppy, you come to class. I don't need a form. Your dog's 8, 10, 12 weeks old. But, you know, I do an extensive intake. I want to know everything I can about the dog. So when they get in the room, I'm prepared. And that's that's the difference between a legit professional and a hack. And that's the difference between a legit professional and a lay person who's just running their mouth about dogs. Yeah. Because right? everybody runs their mouth. I mean, what I find amazing is like, you can have a hundred people at a party and everybody's humble about shit until you talk about dogs. Now everybody's an expert. And then you ask them, well, how much money do you make with dogs? And they go, I don't have any, I don't know. I just, how many dogs have you had? Three, three. Wow. You're talking like, you know, 
Like, I should be coming to you for, right? And that's the problem because dogs can't defend themselves. That's why people like you and I, we have to have the right information. We have to be able to explain to somebody, hold on a second. Your dog's not jealous. Their dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex is too small. That's the right, wrong part of the brain. If your dog wants that bone, it's probably because that bone is reinforcing. Maybe there's resource guarding, right? Like, what's the history? What's the environment? We need the context. And, you know, that's why we need legit education because so many dogs get beat, shot, thrown into the shelter, labeled, blamed, all this shit because people don't understand. Dogs are innocent. They have the cognition of three-year-old kids for life by the time they're two. Yes, yes, they're innocent. And, you know, and to your point here, I think that we all have to be more strategic about questioning the information we're absorbing, right? Because, you know, and I find that we were talking about this before we started recording, right? That, like, in Denver, right, we were so close to replacing BSL and hearing, like, in the city council meetings, right, hearing people speak, like experts, right, the veterinary behaviorist in the state, um, Jim Crosby, right, who is a leading Love member, him. right? He's yeah, amazing. I interviewed him. He's great. Yeah, so professionals, right? We're hearing from professionals, and that gets outweighed by the general public who doesn't own dogs and is just perpetuating the myths that they've been consuming from the media, right? right and, but, but, and, and that goes back to being able to have an actual conversation free of bias, and the motivation is to help understand dogs so that everybody in the community, whether they have pit bull type dogs or not, feels better about it um look i am the first person who would recommend a dog be euthanized if i thought that dog was a problem a danger in the hands of people who could not deal with it yeah and that's one of the other things that i think again a lot of pit bull advocates and a lot of dog advocates they don't understand behavior and that's the most important thing that they need to understand. And it, it, if there's any prerequisite, if there if there were any kind of, well, you know, you're going to take money or you're going to get on a platform and talk about dogs, then the first thing I would want to know is, do you understand behavior? Right now, I don't have a PhD. I do have a certification, you know, and I, I did study with Dr. Susan Friedman. Uh, look, I've been in the room with people who've hired me who are trained psychologist or counselor they understand pavlovian conditioning you know skinner all that they still have no idea what's going on with their dog and i explain it to them and they understand it but then they stand up and they have no mechanics they have no timing they have no skills to be phenomenal with dogs you have to you really have to have above everything else you have to have a comfort level and you have to have good mechanics and timing with reinforcement and notice how i did i I didn't say you need to understand like behavior right right you need to have phenomenal mechanics and timing with reinforcement some of the best students i've ever had were 10 11 12 years old yeah oh absolutely me too young boys and young girls who who are used to being told what to do so they don't have that adult thing right there on sports teams they're in school they, they love the dog and they play sports or gymnastics they have good mechanics and the dog's like you got it and roger that i know t- what to do and then the mom and dad stand up and they're clunky and the treats in their hand and right and the kids are laughing and i say yeah well you should just let your kids do the bulk of the work here. That's where they can do that. You do this over here, but watch what they're doing. And I tell people all the time, because look, I'll be in a room with a dog 10 minutes and the husband and wife look at each other and go, well, it's not the dog. This guy guy don't have a problem. And we've been here 10 minutes and the dog's laying here chewing a bully stick. Every time he walks up to him, he's sitting. And I explain to them, I'm like, yeah, but I'm Kobe. 
See, when you hand me the ball, you're impressed. You understand why you're paying me. And I say, now, don't take that as being cocky, right? And you don't want to hire a, well, I don't know if I can help you, dog trainer. You don't want to hire that person. What I say is when you leave here, get good. Be present, right? And I explain everything from micro to macro. Like my two-hour session with a client is like it's thick. Like we don't waste time. It's fun. We talk. We're you know everybody's having a good time. It's not like they feel like they're in the principal's office. But I want them to walk away going, yeah, I got to really be good with my dog. Like and I tell them, become phenomenal for your dog. Be a phenomenal trainer for your dog. You don't have to train everybody else's dog, but get to know your dog. Get to know your mechanics, your timing. Film, watch it. Talk to me. Email me. Let me know what's going on so I can coach you. That's how you become really good. And if you have a pit bull terrier, a Rottweiler, a German Shepherd, a big-ass lab who's 65 pounds, and somebody might be like, whoa, you need to become great for that dog. So you can go leave it, sit, wait. It's okay. Good boy. No, he's okay. He just got startled. It's okay. You guys can pass. It's all right. As opposed to, oh, my God, he's barking. Shut up. Stop it. Because somebody told you to get a prong collar and yell at your dog. That will inevitably fail you or you'll shut your dog down so they're like, okay, I won't do anything. All right. And and doing that just perpetuates the very Miz around our dogs that we are trying to get rid of, right? Like we have to lead by example. And this is so relevant to the pit bull story we're talking about, but to every breed of dog, right? Because every breed of dog that somebody might have an issue with. Right. One of the things I just started little dog guru, right? Because I love little dogs and little dogs are often labeled with the, well, they're bratty. Right? They're all aggressive. No, and know what I figured out? They're scared. They're little. So they're scared. The traffic's bigger. People are bigger. Other dogs are bigger. Hell, the cat's big, right? Like all these little dogs who are like, bark, 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 get the fuck away, bark, bark, bark. they're scared. Yeah. So, you know, so I explain that to people because everything is safe and safe neutral, right? There's no moral imperative. It's And when you get that, it, the, the world opens up. It's like somebody handed you the magic key and said, here you go. Here's what's really going on. Because if I turn around and my dog is afraid of something and I love my dog and I want them to feel good about it and I see, oh, it's Mrs. Johnson down the street who has a walker and she's kind of wonky and my dog's getting all stiff, I go, yes, and treat him. So make that counter conditioning moment happen, right? Get that classical conditioning. Yo, Mrs. Johnson on the walker predicts food and then leave it. It's okay. Come here, buddy. Boop, boop, boop. And maybe create some distance and explain to my dog through training and reassurance. It's okay, buddy. You're all right. Now, if you stand there and you're like, hey, cut it out, tug, cut it out, tug, and your dog goes, ah, and they start freaking out, it's because you didn't do anything that's helping the dog figure out that whatever's happening, you're okay. You're not, you have no reason to be scared. Right. And to let the dog bark once or twice. You know, it's okay if you bark at the door, but it's okay, buddy. Good boy. Right. Don't freak out. And that's the thing that people have to understand. Your dog is only concerned about their safety. And if you make your dog generally afraid of stuff, it's a slippery slope to them being afraid of people, being afraid of you, being afraid of the vet tech, right? You don't want dogs, no matter if they're 10 pounds or 100 pounds, to be afraid of stuff. And if they are, you want them to bounce back quick. Yeah. And I think the problem, right, is like, so in my experience, right, with like, um, you know, I'll call them green, quote unquote, unquote, green owners of of blocky headed dogs, right? Their, Their motivation for their behavior is influenced by the community's bias about blocky headed dogs. And just like you're saying, right, I feel like that causes this dynamic where people feel like they have to freak, freak out, quote unquote, freak out and act kind of sketchy because they're so concerned about how the world 
is perceiving right. them and their dog, right? right. And, and and that's why I wanted to start this because it doesn't have to be be like that. I want to free I want to free people from that, right? That like you need to focus on the dog's behavior. You need to be the dog's advocate, and then you're 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 changing the minds of people like you wanted to do anyway. Well, here's the thing. To get to get people out of that fog, you you just need to sell them, and it's not a sell job. It's the truth that your dog views everything as safe, unsafe, neutral. Safe means they're okay with it. Unsafe is on a spectrum, right? Like yeah. they might not be petrified of everything, but if they're like, "Ooh, I'm kind of weirded out by that." Let, let, if it's a safe scenario, right? Like, let them go check out the weird statue of a cement fish. Don't tug them away, right? Like, if it, it's benign and they can investigate it, let them investigate it. I do a lot of work with puppies, and I get them at, like, eight weeks, and they're trepidatious. They're and, I mean, I'm working with a dog right now, a Pyridoodle mix, and, um, you know, I could show you video of, like, the first two weeks of working with her because I work with her Monday through Friday. And by the second week, she's like, okay, I'll go out the front door. Okay. Yeah, because I treated her and I let her vote with her feet. I picked her up every now and then when she was scared and let her know, okay, I got you. We'll hustle back. And, you know, a hundred people would say, oh, you're doing it this, this. No, I'm doing it based in applied behavior analysis. I'm reducing as much stress as possible, providing as much reinforcement as possible, and taking all the data in every day and go, okay, well, yeah, see, so now she's six days in and she's a lot more amenable to going out the front door. Oh, day eight, she's bound, she's laying against the door. She's like, oh. So it doesn't matter what kind of dog you have. They all view everything as safe and safe neutral. And neutral means, yeah, I know it's the, but I don't care right now. Right. So, yeah, I know that that thing is sitting over there, but doesn't whatever it might, depending on what it is and what goes on in the environment. That's how you let people free of all that is because if you can. So, in other words, if your dog and look, my first dog, Mojo, he was reactive at motorcycles. He would might react at certain things. And he was a you know 70 pound pit mix. Like, like, yeah, it was a, like when he did it, people were like, oh, shit. Right? <laughs> and, you know, at first I was like a lot of people. Like, again, like I said, I started not knowing anything. But then when I figured it out, I'm like, oh, OK, I get what we do here. We reassure the dog. We create distance. But that's predicated on me changing my behavior and my mindset. Yeah. Right? And you're absolutely right. A lot of times, you know, pit bull advocates hurt their uh, cause because they've got their dog on a big prong collar and whether somebody says it or not a lot of people will be like oh that dog needs that collar because it's mean or it's tough or whatever the label is that the person wants to put on the dog and I would say unless the people have been like using prong collars with dogs for the last X number of years like that's what they do most of the people that I run into um, they have that collar on the dog because somebody told them they needed it yeah a trait, right? And again, like I leave thousands of dollars on the table every year because I won't work with dogs who have a prong collar or a shot collar. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, and I explain to people, look, if, if you want to keep doing it, that, you know, I mean, I don't think you should, and I give them all the reasons why and PDFs and back it up, but I have a lot of people who bring me their shot collar and their prong collar and they turn it in. You know, because again, if you can cause a dog fear or pain, you might decrease the behavior, but you also might make it worse. And if you make it worse, it's hard to pull those experiences back. Oh, right? Yeah. So if you screw up and you don't get your food delivery right or, you know, whatever, you're, yeah, you, you could possibly put your dog in a situation if you're not mitigating distance if you need to and things like that. But 
you're not going to pour gasoline on the fire if you are using positive reinforcement and common sense management, you know? Um, yeah. And I love what you touched on about being present, right? Like we have to show up for our dogs and be present in the moment and, and really checking ourselves and, and pushing ourselves outside of some of the thought patterns that we get stuck in because of the media and what the media has shoved down our throats for so long about our dogs, right? It's about our individual dogs. It is about understanding their behavior and treating them kindly, right? And if we can do that, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It doesn't matter the, the pit bull myth that your community still believes, right? Because you are the change. Well, the other thing too is I think if anything, you know, in the last especially in the last few years, like what we've really figured out is that all media has an agenda and it might be an agenda based in the truth, but more likely than not, it's an agenda based in some sort of bias. Right. And that's just the reality of media in the 21st century, whether it's social media or whether it's media on TV, like whatever it is, like you have to, you have to now research the sources that, because you know, you might be taking in information that's completely inaccurate, regardless of what the subject is. When it comes to dogs, the problem is that people can say whatever they want and make stuff up. And there's people out there with letters after their name. I was recently what I call the blacklist. I was, I was, sent, I found out this list, um, and actually, this pitbull hater sent it to me, and um, it's a list of all these behavior professionals and vets who have said disparaging things or taken a stance against pitbull dogs. Right mm-hmm. now. You know, I do 14, 16-hour days when my business is cranking. And for me to dismantle, because some of the people on that list I've already dismantled and they don't deserve to be dismantled again. But, you know, that's a lot of time and energy for me. To, and then I had to ask myself, like, who, who would even care? I think that at this point, and I'm not trying to be apathetic, you have to pick your battles, and you bring up a good point, and I think more and more advocates should listen to what you're saying in this regard. Advocate for your dog. Make sure, and like what I was saying, like make sure you're a rock star trainer for your dog because you can't do anything about your neighbor's dog, your friend's dog, a dog in another town, a dog who made it on the news. All you can do is help your dog. And if you do that, then that will be an example to other people. And and the problem, I just, went, I just had somebody post up on uh, Facebook the other day talking about, you know, oh, this mix of dog and look out for this. And it's like, that's like me worrying about if it's going to rain next Tuesday. It might not even rain, right? Like right. they say it's going to rain. It's right? a waste of energy. How, it's a waste of energy. How behavior, and that's how behavior and genetics and all that stuff works is that, first of all, genetics is a crapshoot, right? And that's the other big thing that it's funny. Like when you're talking about a poodle, nobody talks about genetics. You mentioned pit bull, all the genetics, genetics. And like all of a sudden, everybody at the party becomes a geneticist. It's like two minutes ago, you couldn't even figure out what you were going to order for dinner, but you know all about genetics. <laughs> and the, the question I always ask people is when they put genetics, genetics, I go, well, explain brownie in motion to me. And they don't know what they're, explain that. And what that is, is the oscillization, uh, oscillizing of DNA, the mixing up of all that stuff that goes on. And you can go read up on Brownian motion and 90% of it, I can't even figure out. But the 10% I figured out was this genetics are a crapshoot. And it also, right. It also maps to what Colby said, you know, five out of maybe 10 dogs that we bred could actually fight other dogs. Right. The vast majority. And that goes with Dr. Karen overall said like 90% of dogs bred for a purpose usually don't do it. Right. By environment, 
people, like whoever's training them, genetics don't work out. So it's all a crapshoot. So to say, well, this mix of dog is going to do, that's ridiculous. You know, that's ridiculous regardless of what you have to wait and see. Environment is where behavior lives. And, you know, people need to get off their phone when they're on a dog walk. I see so many people walking their dog like this. It's like you could trip and fall and break your neck and your dog gets loose and gets hit by a car, right? Like your dog could be staring at something happening, a little kid running and your dog's getting tweaked out by it. And you could be yesing and treating them in counter conditioning or training them. And now your dog's barking at something and you're pulling them back because you're on your phone. So, you know, we're all distracted or at least, I don't know, I'm not too distracted, but a lot of people are distracted. <laughs> and, and when you're out in the world with your dog, especially if you have a, a dog who somebody might have an issue with on site, you should be on your game. Just be on your game, you know, it, for no other reason than, hey, things happen quick. You could get pulled over. You could have your wrist broken. Like, dogs are strong. And so our dogs deserve yeah. to have us there in the moment with them. Because if we yeah. can be there in the moment, that's where all the fucking magic lives, is being right. there, right? And, and right. forming that relationship and and becoming more of a team and changing responses. Like, that's what our dogs deserve, Changing responses. Yeah. Good phrase, right? Again, we talked about if you yell at the dog for barking at the doorbell and they, they're quiet, they, they're just more scared, right? But if you say, it's okay, good boy, good girl, and the dog barks a little less, and then they start wagging their tail when your friend comes in, right? Look, here's the thing. Dogs have the cognition of three-year-old kids for life by the time they're two, right? They're never smarter than a three-year-old kid. And this is how I sell it to clients, right? Because I'll have clients kind of resisting and my dog's stubborn. And it's like, no, have you ever spent time with a three-year-old? It's funny. Go touch that. Come here, baby. Oh, good. You play with the block. Come on. That's a dog. That's a dog. All right, hit the ball. All right, leave it. Bop, bop, bop. All the way. Oh, we can't smell that. Come here, buddy. It's a three-year-old. Right? It's just, it, you're hanging out with a brain that's got a three-year-old cognition. Now, yeah, they might be a little muscle beast, but that doesn't mean that they have any inherent motivation to do bad or ill. They don't. And what I tell people is when you read or you hear a story about a dog who did something, the first question you want to ask is, well, who are the people in that dog's life? How did that dog get led to that moment in time? Who bred that dog? Who was taking care of that dog? Why was that dog put in a position or why was that dog led down this path? Because again, in over 10,000 play groups, with dogs over the last 20 years, like since 2006, I've, I haven't had a dog fight. I haven't ever rushed a dog to the vet going, oh my God, I fucked up, I fucked up. No. Now, I've had some moments where I had to do shit quick and pull dogs out, but that's dog play. That's a lot of times, and again, it doesn't matter what kind of dog it is. All kinds of dogs can have a moment where you need to intervene quickly, and it goes back to if you're present, if you're in the moment, and you're, you're training and treating your dog positively, you're going to have about 10% stress. Because all things in life have a little bit of stress. But 90% of your stress will go away because you have the right information, which is dogs view everything as safe and safe neutral. No moral imperative. Brain of a three-year-old. Make safety your religion. I tell my clients, safety is my religion. If you talk to me about dogs and there's even this much in it that I'm like, well, you know, that's not safe. Let's talk about that, right? Let's, let's unpack that. Because I don't want my clients to call me in a month or two weeks or a year and go, hey, you never told me. And I did this. I'm like, oh, no, no, you mentioned you were going to go to the dog park. And I said, that's not a good idea. Right. Whether you got a, a beagle, a pit bull, or a German shepherd because dog fights are going to break out and there's disease at the dog park. So right away, if you go, just know your dog could get sick. Something could happen. A dog fight could break out. You ever been caught in a dog fight with like 14, 15 dogs? It ain't fun. No. I haven't. Right? So I always remind people, 
that's how your dog views the world. Think about because you know when someone says, "Well, I, and I want to introduce my dog to my friend's dog." That's a common thing. Okay. So the first question we have to ask is, is your friend's dog, what's their social history? How often do they play with dogs? Right? So we want to, what we want back is, oh man, we got three dogs in a neighborhood he plays with every day. He goes over to my friend's house and plays. My brother has a dog. We want this dog stacked, goes to daycare. If it comes back, well, he doesn't really have too many friends and, you know, he kind of growls sometimes when he meets them. You might want to wait. Yeah. The other thing we want to know if dogs are supposed to meet other dogs and how it's going to go is, well, what is the person's handling skills? Are you going to be jerk, 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 jerk? Are you going to be jerking your dog's neck the whole time? So your dog's like, shit, I'm getting choked. I'm trying to meet this dog, right? Like, what are your skills to have your dog meet other dogs? And then is there a bite or fight history? Has your dog ever bitten a dog? Like, what's their, what's their history in regards to that? So if it all comes back, like, yeah, my friend's really good with his dog. He treats him well. You know, he's not choking him and shocking him. He's not hitting him and blaming him. And the dog has no fights or bites, then it'll probably go pretty well, right? And it'll probably go pretty well. And, you know, again, whether it's my video on leash or other people who've done, you know, you can probably figure out how to do 6 and 12, 9 and 3, so you're moving, right? 6 and 12, yeah. clock, 9 and 3, you're yeah. moving around the clock for the dogs because dogs want to meet like this, right? They want to smell each other's rear, right? They don't want to face-to-face, right? Yeah. Because direct eye contact and teeth are weapons and threat signals, and a lot of times the face-to-face greeting goes poorly because that's not how animals want to meet. So again, it goes back to what are the people doing? Humans are the variable. Yeah, 100%. We are the variable. 100%. There's, there's no way around it. And that should always be the first thing that an advocate says to an anti-dog person. Well, you do realize that it's about humans, right? If the dog's doing things you don't like, you got to look at who's in charge. You can't blame a dog who has the cognition of a three-year-old kid for something. But we live in a world where fake news and fake narratives and feelings matter more than any, right? Like, oh my God, you know, like I had a bad moment. I felt, and the next thing you know, somebody's, you know, in trouble. Cause so, you know, how many times have we heard that? Yeah, right? no, over and like, over again. And that's, someone, that was the right. fuel for me starting this whole podcast in the first place. It's like, I have something to say. I've researched, I know what I'm talking about and people deserve to hear from me. Right. And that's why I'm so grateful to you for, for spending your time with us. So I want to kind of wrap it up here. So, um, can, I want you to, to just kind of walk my listeners through a little bit of like your, your, your documentary series, right. So that they can find that. And then if you can tell us like some of your other like favorite resources, as far as like how we can all educate ourselves more specifically about pit bull type dogs. Sure. Well, I think it's mostly, it's mostly important to stress to people that it's not just about one kind of dog, right? So even if you have a lab or a beagle, whatever the kind of dog you have, this will all apply. But in regards to dogs like pitties or rotties or again, any dog where somebody might have an issue with, the most important thing is get legitimate information based in positive training, force-free training, applied behavior analysis, right? That's yes. very it's a big word that basically means environment, history, human behavior. That's what we want to know about. As far as um, the films I've made, you can check out The Pitbull Hoax. It's a 13-minute documentary. It's up on um, online, uh, um, Pitbull Hoax on YouTube. You can check it out there. Um, I've done a lot of uh, interviews. Uh, like I said, I've interviewed a number of people. So if you just type in The Pitbull Hoax on YouTube, you'll find all the Pitbull videos. You can go to pitbullguru.com as well. There's a link to the YouTube channel. Um, and then for training videos... Uh, Urban Dogs, D-A-W-G-S on YouTube. So YouTube.com, Urban Dogs, D-A-W-G-S. A lot of training videos there. Um, and as far as resources, uh, I think that the 
Colby's book of the American Pitbull Terry is a really good book for people to get so that they have a history, right? There's some stuff in it about, you know, fighting dogs and this and that. But again, what I always tell people is if you look at things through a behavior lens and you don't take things personally, like have that objectivism, you'll learn a lot more than if you have a whole bunch of judgment, right? Um, the Working Pitbull by Diane Jessup, a good book again on just the history. As far as behavior and training stuff, I think a really good book for people to kind of start to be able to wrap their heads around dogs and get a better perspective is The Culture Clash by Gene Donaldson. Yeah, it's I think amazing. That's a really good book. Yeah, and again, it's like people should know that The Culture Clash by Gene Donaldson is, isn't a training book. It's a book about dog behavior and understanding things from the dog's perspective. A lot of what we talked about, safe and safe neutral, and understanding your dog doesn't have a moral imperative to be bad. Dogs are doing things based on reinforcement, and a lot of things reinforce dogs. Jumping, chewing, biting, chasing, digging, like all these things are reinforced. In the right context, we don't mind. In the improper context, that's where we need management and training. Um, and then, you know, obviously people can use me as a resource. You know, I always tell people most of the questions that people have about behavior, training, pit bulls can be summed up in a couple of sentences, right? If it's a, if it's a deep dive and someone wants to hire me to unpack something for their dog, that's a consult. That's different. But, you know, as far as like my here's my one to knockout punch for people who are dog haters. Here you go. And this is all, you can't dispute this. Dogs view everything as safe, unsafe, neutral. And yeah. they, get the uns, they get the unsafe one wrong all the time, right? They do. Because 99.999% of the stuff dogs are afraid of ain't going to hurt. Two, they have the cognition of three-year-old kids for life, okay? Their dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex is the part of the brain that does right-wrong functioning. And three-year-old brains don't know right-wrong. Three-year-olds are just moving and doing stuff. And that's what dogs are doing. They're just moving and doing stuff. If it's reinforcing, they'll do it. If it's not, they won't. And then lastly, I tell them it's all about the humans. Humans are the variable. And in my hands, dogs are safe. Dogs are taken care of. In, in the hands of anybody, anybody who's a responsible guardian, you, you, you shouldn't have a concern. If somebody is being irresponsible, if they're treating dogs poorly, however it is, you should be a concern. Definitely. 100%. But this notion that this type of dog or even this type of person, or this, but all that's nonsense. That's, and it just goes into all the other biases people hold against you know, religions and races and all that other crazy stuff. Um, at the end of the day, behavior's in the environment. And I think that was probably under 30 seconds. And if the person, and if the person can get it from that, great, and we can have a conversation. If not, you know, because usually the, uh, the next argument is, well, what about genetics? And then I say, well, do you understand Brownian motion and how the distribution of DNA and RNA and all that stuff works? And I have a cursory understanding, right? But I've talked to enough people who really get it. They're, that's their field. And they're like, yeah, you're on the right path, Drayton. It's very rare that these dogs can do it. And the ones who can, they just have, for whatever reason, the right ability to process all that glucocorticoids, all those stress hormones, right? And not seemingly have too much of an issue with it afterwards. I think any dog who was in a traumatic near-death experience would be harmed for quite a while if not for life yeah and those dogs and those dogs who go through that who don't and i met a dog like that i met leo i met a vic dog i hung out with him and i have video of him you know in in a number of my films that i've made um and he's running around with dogs playing it's like a regular dog and he was at the vic compound doing whatever he was doing right dogs are phenomenal we know that but one of the things that i love dogs for is just their spirit 
their their ability to forgive, their ability to go forward despite the crappy things, the downright horrible things that they've been through. Um, if if the spirit of the dog doesn't you know rejuvenate you, then you, you might need some help because you got to be pretty hard of heart and like devoid of soul and spirit. You know, I'm not saying that everybody should love dogs. That's I've never that's never been my mission. But if you are a person who likes dogs or you're interested in them, you should definitely be inspired by them. I, I know dogs everything. I, they humble me every day. Yeah. Oh my God, I, I couldn't agree anymore. And I think that that's what's so addicting about our profession, right? That's why we keep doing it. That's why we show up every day is because we get so much, right? The dogs give us so much. And the owners too, right? Like connecting sure. with these people who give enough, like care enough to pay my rates for me to come into their home, like respect, right? And, and I'm yeah, inspired I, by those people too. That's a whole other podcast we can yeah. do and, and again anytime you want me back don't hesitate I, I come on every week if you want um you know that's you bring up a good point you know I have told people in the last 20 years I've been because I started as a dog walker in New York City in, in 2000 in the last 20 years I have not asked anybody for a dollar or a day off think about that power especially what's going on in the world right now I have worked pretty much every day since this has happened, COVID-19, I've worked pretty much every day. I've got long-standing clients who gave me extra work to help me, right? So I've had portions of my business wane, right? Like public class, you know, classes with puppies and stuff, but but I'm paying my bills. I'm I'm, I'm my head's above water, right? Like I'm 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 and I owe that to dogs, right? Because there's people out here right now who they, their lives are over. They've lost everything and for whatever reason, that's where they're at. And I know that it would literally have to be like a nuclear fallout, like literally end of the world for my business to just go away. Right now, I'm blessed. I live in Monmouth County, New Jersey. It's it's a, um, a very wealthy part of New Jersey, right? But still, there's a lot of people who are in businesses around people who have wealth in their businesses, right? Dogs, for me, I can always speak for myself, they are like hitting the lottery, yeah. I love dogs. And that's why I go through the gates of hell for dogs. I tell people all the time, like, I'll run in the street to save a dog I've never met to make sure he's okay. And it's not because, I mean, part of it is because I have a superhero complex. That's just who I am as a person. But it's also because every single dog, whether I've met them or not, I owe them because their species has paid my way for the last 20 years. And I know how hard it is to go out and earn a living. Trust me, you know. And, yeah. and dog training, some, some days, what I tell people is, the shittiest day on, uh, on the planet of being a dog trainer is when you have to tell somebody that their dog should be euthanized. Yeah. And dark you day. have to be able to do that some days, right? Cause it's just, you go through everything and you're like, this is the safest thing. Um, and if we can get people to have a little bit, or in some cases, a lot more empathy and understanding, then, you know, only thing that's going to happen is people are going to get along more and people and dogs are going to get treated better. I mean, there's so many, there's so much, hate generated over dogs i couldn't i that's the thing i can't understand like like how could you hate a dog like you don't have to like dogs right like you don't like yeah. you know what i mean but to have a, a vehement hatred to like get a group together to like to beat down innocent creatures says a lot about people like what what's going on with you like don't you have anything better to do you know what i mean and if people really want a, a history lesson, just remember, um, it has been theorized and it has been backed up that dogs co-evolved with humans. 
Dogs worked alongside humans 20,000 years before agriculture. Every human on this planet right now owes a debt of gratitude to dogs because without them, we wouldn't have gotten this far this fast. They provided heat, protection, food, and companionship. Yeah, and well, sleep, right? Because I could go to sleep because I got two dogs and shit. I, I stayed up to watch the camp last night, but every twig and fart out here, the dog went and checked out. So I decided to go to sleep. I figure, hey, if it's that bad, these dogs are going to lose their shit. I'll get up and protect the family, right? Like, that's deep. Like, REM deep sleep for humans and warmth. Like, so, you know, like, people can have all the feelings they want, but, like, those of us who really know about dogs, for real, for real, we're like, nah, these dogs, they're as important as human beings. Oh, absolutely. Right. And I know that all of my listeners 100% agree with that sentiment. And I think that if when when that is our baseline, right, when that's our baseline, that we're like, we're grateful for our dogs, then this gigantic world of beauty and connection and joy and happiness and growth, like that's what's on the other side of all of that. Yeah. And, and also the other thing is you have less stress. Like it always bums me out when you know, I, I have a client who's just like, oh, this dog, and they're all frustrated. I'm like, well, first of all, your dog's innocent, so you, you got to get over all this, like, me, me, me shit. Like, you got a little baby with teeth and a fur coat. You know, like, you got to walk your dog. You got to play with your dog. You got to provide for your dog. You know, I spend, lately, I have, a new, I have a new client, a little yellow lab puppy named Lucy. It was the cutest thing in the world. She's like 10 weeks. She's feisty, feisty little blonde. But I spend you know, like four hours with her in the morning and the last two, three hours of it is just me and her. And I just sit in my backyard with her and hang out and it's phenomenal. I can't even believe that I'm, I'm paid for it, but it just, you know, look, I, I like doing things for dogs. I, it gives me a ah, feeling when I help a dog do something, whether I give them water or I take them for a walk. Don't get me wrong. I'm human. I get frustrated you know, thing you get tired. But what I always tell people is you can have a human moment with your dog and it won't ruin it. Like, dude, you got to go lay down. I just walked you for two hours. Go lay down. Go, ahead. go, 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 go. You're okay. Go. I know. I love you too. Go, go. And the dog goes and lays down, but yeah. I'm not yelling at him. I'm not mad at him. Right. I'm not blaming the dog. I'm just like, dude, you got to go lay down. Right. Like, give me a break, bro. Right. Because we're all human and you can be, you can have human moments with your dog. You just don't want to cause them fear and pain and blame them because it's a slippery slope, you know. Um, and anytime you want me to come on and speak about anything, whether it's a current event, you just send me the info. We'll go back and forth. If you want me to do like specific training, want to talk because I saw you made a great post about tug. I could do a whole hour on tug. Yes. Right? Like the whole releasing of the pressure and like I got a whole thing with tug, you know. So anytime you, you want to talk privately, publicly, anytime, you just let me know. I'll be here. I appreciate that so much. Right. And I'm so grateful to be a part of a community, right, that, that has this same mission because it's pretty beautiful to be able to collaborate like we're doing right now for the greater good, right, of dogs and their people. Hopefully. I mean, you know, that's, you know, hopefully that continues. There's a lot of division in dogs. There's a lot of cliques and camps and. There's a lot of power struggles, and I don't do politics when it comes to dogs. I no, do there's not no, do there's, it. I don't have energy for I that. I have way better things yeah, to do with my time. Yeah, I don't, I don't like, like, I tell people all the time, like, look, I'm just here to educate people, and if you want the information, I'll be happy to give it, but I don't, that, and that's also why I'm not, like, on any board or part of, like, I've been asked to be, I'm like, no, 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 I'm Han Solo out here, just me and Chewie flying through the, you know, I'm just, 
I'll help you, but I go back to my cave when I'm done. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, right. Put the cave away and I'll come back out. But I don't want to go to, you know, I just, and that's, maybe that has a lot to do with me. And, I, and it's not that I'm antisocial or whatever, even though I, I live like a monk. It's just, I've found that, like, it's hard for me to educate by um, committee. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't want to deal with a committee of people. You know what I mean? I got to just get the info out. And, you know, it's, it's it, and it's, uh, you know, it's it's easy if if you're the type of person who can just like I'm sure you are like you can just put stuff out, get it, the message, get the and just keep moving as opposed to. So I think a lot of times, you know, and, and it can be a great thing, but I think people use dogs and advocacy for more of a get together and you know like a social thing, and, and that's fine. You know, people need to be social, but I've been to a number of events where there was less education and more rah rah, and it wasn't really. There was no 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 meat in the sandwich, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I feel you on that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for having me again. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co. You can also find us on Facebook at A Good Feeling Dog Training, as well as our website, agfdogtraining.com.